Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. It is John Pollock here with Wei Teng. How are you, Wei? Doing great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Okay. Cool. Nice. Why? Um, because it's ten o'clock right now. <laughs> Enjoy it. It's the only show where we can start at ten from this point on. That's right. It's going to be you know much later on Friday night. About an hour, yeah. Well, let's go right into things. Anything you want to mention off the top? What's coming up? What do you want to do? No, not much. Um, I don't know. Listen to what's up on the website right now. A lot of great stuff that's out there. Did you watch NXT on Tuesday night? I did not. Unfortunately, no time. I caught some highlights, but that's it. I guess the the major things on the show were pretty much the announcement of the entire Rest of the TakeOver card with the addition of Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly, a two out of three falls match for TakeOver, where we will get a straight wrestling match, a street fight, and then if necessary, a steel cage match. On top of that, we got the appearance by one Walter, leading to the finish between Pete Dunne and Ilya Dragunov, which was a fantastic match. Almost, almost so fantastic that it overcame a baffling finish where they beat... Ilya Dragunov going into this takeover match. This appearance on NXT being his to get some face time for this guy before the takeover special. Like, let's let's get him out. We're back on the USA Network. Bunch of eyes on Ilya Dragunov. And by the end of this, it was felt like you were building to Walter and Pete Dunne. But it was a tremendous match. Yeah, coming out of this show, it seemed like a, definitely a controversial decision to, that they've made. Um, it feels more and more like it would be a main roster decision that they would use for whatever reason to keep an underdog an underdog, uh, even in his debut. So <laughs> uh, it's strange. It, it definitely maybe leads some you know credence to the this uh, this overall discussion we've been having about maybe um, the, a change in overall philosophy for NXT. I mean, this to me was just, it was just like a very odd booking decision. Like the whole story of Walter is no one can beat this guy. He has had the title for two and a half years. So the idea is let's build up this rematch. And Ilya Dragunov came so close that we have to present him as having this ability to conquer this monster. And instead, it's Pete Dunne, who is not at all part of this takeover card. So... Nonetheless, it was a great match. So you at least got a great match before you got the end. It wasn't it wasn't Jeff Hardy pinning Karrion Cross at least. Well, I mean, Walter is just getting started. Let's see what happens. That is true. That is true. We still have another week. Uh, but NXT was back on the USA Network, and they actually did a very good number by their standards. 751,000 viewers, uh, 244,000 in the 18 uh, to 49 demo coming from WrestleNomics. So this would be their best viewership overall since May the 4th and their best 18 to 49 number in a month. So at least they were back, you know, going to sci-fi for two weeks. They came back and... Uh, above what they had been doing prior. So maybe with the 
playoffs gone and so much buzz on the NXT brand right now. Maybe maybe they're in for a popularity surge as we go into the later summer month. I guess. I don't know. I, I can't really explain it. Could it be the Olympics not being around? Um, is there maybe a bit more interest in NXT for whatever reason? I have no idea. Um, yeah, there seems to be an overall theme of what are they going to do? <laughs> and, is that, and if you tuned is, in, you saw some really <laughs> crappy skits with Dexter Loomis and Indy Hartwell to uh, really drive home uh, the comedic aspect of the show. Is that legitimately any reason for people to tune into a show? Oh, they've been releasing a ton of the people on this show. They've been booking their champion like shit on the other show. Let's watch. You know, like who 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 is more interested in this show because of? I think it's more reasons. so just looking at the overall uh, w- whether there is going to be a a shift in the overall NXT presentation that people are curious about. But that's not something that is going to reveal itself overnight. I think that's going to be an established. If that is a true change that is going to be made, it's going to be felt over months and not one week that you're going to see a noticeable difference. But I, I think a lot of people are very interested in this conference call next week, because I think that that's going to be almost like this state of NXT call and Paul Levesque uh, could come out and, and could be very combative towards um, a lot of the questions, or he could, it's, it'll be very interesting how he plays that where, and how many of the questions kind of surround the larger picture of NXT versus, you know, more, you know, small picture stuff for the takeover pay-per-view. I'm almost looking to that forward to as much to, for as, looking forward as much to that call as the takeover itself. Uh, so next week on NXT, they're doing MSK against Imperium for the tag titles and Kushida against Roderick Strong, as well as a face to face between Karrion Cross and Samoa Joe. So we will see uh, what it, what is going to uh, go down there uh, in Canada. I tuned in at around eight thirty and. There was tennis on. There was no NXT on Sportsnet 360. So I discovered that it was streaming, so you could watch it on Sportsnet now, but it wasn't airing on 360 until midnight. And I guess not too many people were aware of this because from midnight to 2 a.m., they did 13,000 viewers on Sportsnet 360. So that was, uh, I, I had no idea about this. So if I didn't know, I imagine a very small number did. But I guess 13,000 people, they stayed up till 2 a.m. to get their NXT fix. You stay for the tennis? No, no. I watched. I just streamed the show. I I was not up on the tennis. I can't tell you what happened. All right. So there's some tremendous action that was going down there. Uh, moving on. Uh, Ring of Honor. They have taken Death Before Dishonor out of Lakeland, Florida on September the 12th. They are citing COVID concerns in the state, and they are moving it to the 2300 Arena in Philadelphia. Uh, what's interesting about that move is that they are already running back-to-back nights at the same arena, August 20th and 21st, and then they'll be coming back three weeks later with a pay-per-view in the same building. But um, I, I think ROH, they typically, I think over the last year, they get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to moves like this and you know doing what seems to be a very reasonable move. Uh, leaving Florida and doing it in Philadelphia, which is uh, probably uh, a closer show for them to run anyway. But nonetheless, they are in that market with three sizable shows in three weeks. Yeah, I mean, definitely to be commended to, you know, continue to be, I I think, arguably the most cautious of all the wrestling promotions that are out there. Um, And unfortunately, we are already starting to see, you know, these sort of um, cutbacks or these sort of uh, 
backwards moving steps because of concerning numbers that are out there. So let's hope, um, let's hope the trend doesn't continue too far. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is kind of the first, um, major company to move a show during what looks to be this latest wave of numbers and Florida it's, it's huge there. And whether this is going to be a trend that, that continues to other promotions that are forced to move, um, it's certainly something to watch. Uh, this coming weekend, uh, we have Triple Mania coming up on Saturday, and then New Japan Resurgence. Are you going to be seeking out either of these shows, Way? Uh, I'm definitely interested in some of the matches on, on the Resurgence show. I'm just interested to see you know, what a New Japan US presentation is going to look like. Um, and if any standout matches, people will come out of uh, um, the AAA show talking about. Um, I'll definitely take a look. Yeah, so Kenny Omega is now doing a match with Christian on Friday on Rampage. And then the next day, we'll be in Mexico City to do this match with Andrade for the AAA Mega Championship, which is going to be a very big match. Uh, the Saturday, the Triple Mania show, it also has the mask versus hair match with Psycho Clown against Ray Escorpion, Fabi Apache versus Diana Perrazzo, uh, and... A match that looks spectacular on paper with Phoenix and Pentagon against Il Delphi Vikingo and Laredo Kid and Black Taurus and a teammate to be named. So it looks like a intriguing card that I think many people are going to struggle to find on Saturday because it actually cannot stream. AAA cannot stream this outside of Mexico. So it is going to be quite the chore to be able to find this show. It looks like Lucha Blog is actually going to stream the show on their own personal Twitch. So that might be an option for you to use, but they cannot stream it outside of Mexico. So I don't doubt that people will be able to find the show after the fact, but live viewing it. I don't know how many people are aware of this, but they will be aware Saturday night as it could be a challenge just to find the show. Chatroom brings up an interesting question. He is defending the Impact title on Friday against Christian, defending the AAA title against Andrade on Saturday. Do you see title changes this weekend? I do not. No. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, possible, but I I would see more so of a chance of that happening on the Friday rather than the uh, Saturday. All right. But but possible. Possible in both cases. And then Resurgence, uh, the big matches, at least, are Lance Archer and Hiroshi Tanahashi for the U.S. title. Jay White against David Finley for the Never Openweight Championship. John Moxley and a partner to be named versus the Good Brothers. Tomohiro Ishii versus Moose. And then we've got uh, Fred Rosser, Rocky Romero, and Wheeler Yuta against TJP, Clark Connors, and Ren Narita. Alex Coughlin versus Carl Fredericks. And Team Filthy against... Leo Rush, Fred Yehai, Yuya Yui Mura, Brody King, and Chris Dickinson. I'm very excited for this card. I think it looks awesome on paper. Yeah, it should it be a really incredibly... fun show. It's got like 2,000 incre- tickets out. Like, th- yeah, it feels incredibly fresh. You know, uh, with a new, it, which is rare to say these days for a show with a New Japan logo and name attached to it. Um, a really kind of diverse roster combining elements from various different promotions, and you know, it makes you wonder what if there will be any surprises that we might see. And then uh, CM Punk was on Sunday night's main event with Jason Agnew. And it turns out that the first dance is going to be this media tour that CM Punk is on because he had to dance around questions <laughs> and was asked directly 
are you going to be at the United Center on August 20th? And he said is it, he might have a screening for episode three of Heels that night, but that is not confirmed. So he's definitely having fun with all of this, but it's uh, pretty much a wink-wink with all of his answers here that as I'm sure he's going to be doing a slew of interviews in the coming days uh, if he is promoting uh, his his character on Heels, which debuts on Sunday, actually. In, you know, if you are involved with Heels, if you're the TV network that is promoting Heels, it, it is somewhat, I would say, to your benefit, actually, that I think all this attention is on CM Punk. Totally. Even talking about, even though all the questions are going to be about his AEW appearance, like... In the end, you we here we are talking about heels and getting the word out about when heels is coming out and whatnot. So it um yeah, it's it's an interesting bit of co promotion, whether or not intentional. And way we go to our friends at Triller, who are preparing for their card on September the eleventh, headlined by Oscar De La Hoya versus Vitor Belfort. And now we have in a boxing fight, Anderson Silva versus Tito Ortiz. Yeah, I mean it. You know, honestly, initially I saw this story and I was like, I, as much as I love Anderson Silva, I, I don't really have that much time to want to see like, you know, do, dudes past their physical prime competing in like exhibition boxing matches anymore. But then again, it's it's Tito Ortiz, and I'd love, I'd still love to see maybe now more than before Tito Ortiz get his head punched in. So um, I've heard great things about Anderson's boxing lately. So. Um, maybe a bit of interest for this one. Oh, this, this, this should not be a pretty fight for Tito Ortiz. This is, I mean, Anderson Silva has three pro boxing fights. I, I mean, he just beat Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., which I mean, it's, it's, it's not the highest bar, but Tito Ortiz has never boxed professionally. This is not going to be the, both are 46, but this is going to be Tito Ortiz extremely out of his element. Who's going to call it? I don't who's know who's calling commentary. Him. I don't know who's who's doing commentary for for that one. Um, that's a good question. Give me Snoop Dogg and anybody else. <laughs> and the last note here, just uh, on the MMA side, is that uh, Ronaldo Jacare Souza has announced his retirement uh, after 18 years of fighting professionally. And I just think he's a very notable fighter because when it comes to world class grapplers that have transitioned to MMA, um, he is top tier. Uh, we have seen some incredible grapplers that have come over, and it's it's not a given. You have an unbelievable foundation, but how will you take to striking? How will you take to being punched in the face? Jacare improved his striking greatly to become a very solid striker um, in, in his career. He became a strike force middleweight champion, and at one time, I believe, was the top middleweight in the world. He came over to the UFC and was right on the verge of fighting for the title when he fought Yoel Romero and lost a very close split decision. And that was debated at the time because there was a moment in the fight where Yoel Romero blatantly grabbed the fence. Um, And anyway, it ended in a split decision, and that was the closest Jacare came to getting a championship fight. And then in the years that came, he, he kind of more so fell into a bit of a gatekeeper role at 185 pounds. He tried one fight at light heavyweight, losing to Jan Blachowicz and... Ended up losing his last four fights in the UFC, and his last fight was just a brutal loss where his he was not only submitted, but his arm was was broken uh, as well. So he's 41 years of age, uh, walking away, but he was 
you know, a tremendous fighter and as a grappler, uh, world-class elite level uh, that came over and did did MMA for a long time. Like, his first pro fight was 2003 for Jungle Fight. Mm, yeah. I mean, um, a legendary name in, in both MMA. Well, I don't even know how, I, if I could say how much in MMA, but certainly in jiu-jitsu. And, you know, it makes you wonder if he might return. Yeah, he said he's keeping. He apparently is opening up a gym in in Florida. Uh, he spoke to a combate and says like he's it's looking like jujitsu competitions is something he might do. So cool, you know that you know keeps uh your your competitive juices flowing without mm-hmm. the, the same level of commitment MMA requires, especially once you're north of forty. So yeah, maybe we will see him in some jujitsu tournaments. Just stay away from Triller. Don't well, go the <laughs> don't go the celebrity boxing route. Yeah, I'd love to see Triller incorporate jujitsu in its promoting. I'd love. I just want to hear Snoop Dogg call some jujitsu. Um, that would be something. Um, you you should have watched the first season of the Contender series when Snoop Dogg and Uriah Faber were the alternate commentator. You could get the commentary track of those two. Really? Oh yes. Wow. So you can right. hear Snoop Dogg uh, and his his ground knowledge. Mm. All right. I'll check that out. All of your news can be found at postwrestling.com, including a recap of all the major uh, news items coming out of tonight's episode of Dynamite, courtesy of Andrew Thompson. And we get into tonight's show from Pittsburgh at the Peterson Event Center, their first of two shows this week from the venue, uh, with Rampage debuting on Friday night at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. For the love of God, to every Canadian listening to this, it is streaming on TSN Direct. Yeah. It is... I have been messaged so many times, way, about this. TSN Direct, folks. That is where you can go. I mean, unfortunately, they don't, they don't advertise that. And it would certainly help you out a lot, John. But well, you I have advertised it. it. I've tweeted it out. I've said it. Yeah. Well, everybody should be reading John's updates or listening to these Clearly. shows, of course. But, you know, not everybody does. But, you know, you would think that maybe TSN themselves, unless I missed it. Um, but I didn't really see any mention of it on watching the show today. The, the only place I've seen it mentioned is the TSN Help Twitter account that people have been uh, getting responses from where they have mentioned it. But uh, I have not seen any major announcement or anything from TSN. Right, right. And for people so, who... Yeah, and so in fairness, like it has not been publicized really in, in any meaningful fashion here in Canada. Uh, but there you go. TSN Direct. I don't know if that is the long term... Uh, home or not, but that's where it is Friday, and that's where I'm under the impression it's uh, that's that's the place where they are, are putting it. We will see what they do next week, obviously. And anybody who gets TSN on TV can have access to TSN Direct. Correct. Is that right? Yes, yes. If you have TSN, you can log in with your carrier information, and it's uh, right there on the streaming schedule. Cool. They started off the show with a uh, memorial for Bobby Eaton that I thought was like a really nice touch to uh, to make mention of. As I think AEW, they very much want to be, you know, it is, we don't just exist in the world of AEW. It's like we have the, you know, the entire history. We will take that on and make mention of when a significant figure passes like a Bobby Eaton. So I, I like that they have really established that over, over time when uh, a significant figure passes away. Yeah, it really feels like AEW from the get-go has, has kind of like, you know, maybe taken on the uh, a representative maybe voice for wrestling in general and not just, you know, wrestling that's contemporary, but wrestling history itself. 
if you remember with like, you know, I mean, it doesn't have much of its own history, of course, but it seems to respect really anything that and everything that was out there in the past. So it's cool to see. MJF and Wardlow started the show with a promo with MJF noting he has two wins against Chris Jericho. The labors have been great for TV. And then he starts eating an apple. And you had to watch this guy talk while he was eating a total heel tactic. Well, I mean, when did you grow this aversion to, you know, hearing people talk and eat at the same time? Uh, Tony Schiavone brought it up. He said his mother always told him, don't talk when you're eating. It's drilled into you at a young age. So a great tactic here by MJF. He said he is the fifth labor, but before that, you have the most dangerous big man the sport has ever seen. And asked what happens, Chris, if you go through all of this and you still learn at the end that I'm better than you. And as Wardlow looks into the camera, MJF makes a crack about the time Wardlow lost to Cody in the steel cage match. Get the job done. And then hands him his half-eaten apple. What a piece of shit. You know, they they don't touch on this that often. This little kind of... I mean, whatever relationship still currently exists between MJF and Wardlow. But uh, I love that they continue to bring it up here. And it keeps it alive in the background at a very slow but very good pace. You know that when eventually, whenever the time comes, whenever Wardlow turns on MJF, it'll be huge. That was a year and a half ago that cage match happened. And I'm sure everyone remembers it, too. Mm-hmm. So off the top, they announced that it is official for All Out. Kenny Omega versus Christian Cage will be the AEW championship match. Yeah, and as such, no Hangman Page at all. No presence from him on this show. No, I think the BTE trigger was designed to take him out. I mean, the same way it did Moxley, that he has to go sell that. And I would think we probably don't see him till after the pay-per-view. There's hmm. no reason to see him before if he's not figured into the pay-per-view. Yeah, interesting. Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks against Dante Martin, Matt, and Mike Seidel with Don Callis on commentary. And Dante is attacked from behind by Omega, and the crowd just boos this vociferously. The Seidels get involved with double insiguries, and then they all hit baseball slide drop kicks before hoisting up Dante onto the middle rope and springs onto the others on the floor. Then they get the advantage on Mike Seidel. They're double teaming him. Matt, uh, Matt's, uh, there's multiple Matt's here that I'm trying to keep track of here, but there was the tag by Mike to tag in his brother Matt. And they did a double-team cross-face Muda lock onto Matt Jackson, which is broken up by Kenny Omega. Dante then is in the ring with Omega. And this was really the high point of the match with seeing these two. Dante lands on his feet from the Snapdragon, and he gets his offense in on the champion. And the crowd is instantly behind this guy. And they're going nuts for him. There was this amazing springboard Hurricane Rana to the floor on Omega. And then returns to the ring for a huge near fall on Matt Jackson, which the crowd bit on. Everyone is in the ring. There's all these flying knees going around. Ushiguroshi, V-trigger delivered to Dante, but he counters the one-winged angel and lands this overhead kick. Another counter, and Omega drills him with a knee. He eats a pair of super kicks from... uh, The Seidels are super kicked by the Bucks. And then a one-winged angel and three-person BTE trigger with Kenny involved. Pinning Dante in 1206. 
you know, the result of this was Dante Martin getting pinned, but they booked this kid like he was Goldberg getting beaten on by the entire NWO here with a taser. Like, I didn't see this coming. I did not see them giving Dante Martin this much, and I absolutely loved it. This is one of the things about, like, about this show. You never know who they're going to put that spotlight on. You saw Dante Martin go, like, be competitive against the three like most dominant champions in this company in Kenny Omega and the Bucks here. I was really invested in this opening match, you know, essentially featuring like several unranked AEW dark competitors in ways that I never expected. It totally makes Dante Martin. But of course, much of this depends on the follow-up. You know, is this the beginning of an actual sustained push or was the whole point of this just simply to, you know, maybe give a bit of shine to this kid in an unpredictable way to make us pay attention to this opening match. Uh, I certainly hope it's it's more the former. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to imagine him getting like a sustained thing coming out of this. But I mean, to your point, it's just the idea of him being competitive with Kenny Omega for a couple of minutes is like this star making feeling you you had coming out of this. Uh, over time, I think your audience will latch onto that if they see a guy get all this competitive uh advantage over your champion but it ultimately the guy stays in the the exact same spot it becomes less effective over time but coming out of this Dante Martin felt and it was instant that this crowd was behind him it's not like they even had to really get the crowd up to get you to believe in Dante Martin it's like it's a real I think tribute to the Omega and the Bucks who have done this time and again that they can really solidify whoever is losing by just being competitive with them. And yeah, I think that Dante Martin, there certainly is some shine on him coming out of this. You hope so. You know, I, I again, I love this match simply because of its unpredictable nature. There was a moment, you know, after he flipped out of that Tiger Driver 98 and rolled Kenny up. Right. I thought, man, they're giving this kid this much. Could they actually have Dante Martin pin Kenny? Like it was reaching that realm of possibility. And, um, it's, you know, it, it maybe goes to show you how um, good the match was, how unpredictable at times AEW's booking can be. Um, but at the same time, you know, you do this with so many guys. You have so many guys that are just kind of lingering in this area where they might get that occasional shine. And then you never really hear from them or see them on Dynamite again. Um, I just wish I feel like eventually you'll run up out of that favor for, from the audience. And I just hope that they start, you know giving sustained pushes for guys that get these, this amount of attention. Don Callis came to the ring and cut a promo saying Pittsburgh has never seen a winning team like the elite and Christian Cage interrupts them. Callis calls him the Stamford Stooge and says that we have you outnumbered. So that prompts Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy to come out and Callis notes the announcement for the pay-per-view that it will be Omega versus Christian Cage. This crowd was not excited to hear this news. And then they erupted in a CM Punk chant. So we got our first real sustained CM Punk chant at an AEW show. Yes. Well, I mean, you heard it, you know, when Darby did the line a few weeks ago. But that one, I mean, it was really, I mean, the crowd was just set up for, for that one. This was more, I would say, of a more organic one that came up. And obviously, this is what that crowd was I guess, hoping for at the pay-per-view. They were chanting, you know, I I felt it came off of maybe the mention of All Out in Chicago. Um, 
I, I mean, there's no doubt about it, though. You know, a Christian is not a viable contender to any member of the audience who regularly watches AEW. Um, he is put into this position, arguably, as, like, <laughs> not even a secondary option or even a third option uh, in terms of what people favor. Um, he is put in here as a replacement in many people's eyes for a spot that Hangman Page should have had. Um, people like Christian, but nobody seems to really love Christian. And it certainly makes you wonder, you know, what the idea is behind the booking. Is it simply because they know that they'll sell the show based on another match and they can put, you know, uh, Tony Khan's favorite wrestler up against Kenny Omega for his own enjoyment? Um, or is there something else in the works? You know, something more devious in the plans, perhaps? Is this to set up maybe, you know, um, potential he material for a heel Christian Christian um, you know, uh, uh, character? Um, it it's interesting. Yeah, I think that there is long term you could get something out of that. But for the short term for this pay-per-view, I think it's a very tough spot. It Just on its own, I think it's going to be an unbelievable match. I think these two are going to have a fantastic match together. But it's it's not even the believability because sometimes that is something you'll struggle with. The believability of the challenger. But, you know, in, in the sense of a great match, like... Like, wait, they hooked you on Dante Martin pinning Omega tonight, just as an instance. But for they this one, they did, but they would not sell me if they advertised Dante Martin versus Kenny Omega for a pay per view. You know, it's I understand very different that. when you're talking about a pay per view versus a TV main event. This feels like it's a TV main event. But I think there's also the difference that in the when you're 20 minutes deep, if it's a match that's just on fire, you can you can get hooked. In this one, I think on top of it. The audience does not want to see Christian Cage with this title. They know all of these potential dream matches coming up. You want Kenny Omega in that spot for all of those big matches. So I think you have that against it as well. So it's like I understand why they're doing this direction. And I think it's it's more of a, a longer play because of the cards that they now have to play. But it's also I, I think they you do have to work with those disadvantages that you have now invited. The booking coming out of this segment is really interesting because it, it in some ways feels familiar, yet also very different because it's not something we usually see coming out of an AEW uh, type of, you know, main event. Kawa says that Christian has one of the best finishing moves and Kenny can't wait to kick out of it. There was a brief yes chant and then laughs about the the notion of Kenny fighting Christian Cage in Pittsburgh and Christian cuts him off. Are you done yet, you carny piece of shit? And Cage puts over the AEW title as the most important one in the business and announces that he has spoken to Tony Khan and you will be wrestling in Pittsburgh in the opener because it's Kenny Omega versus Christian Cage on Friday for the Impact title. Yeah, again, really unique booking here. You know, first of all, seeing like this, this sort of like long talking segment and the second segment in itself feels somewhat different for Dynamite. And it makes me wonder with the integration of Rampage now, what, how many, whether or not we'll see a, a difference in pacing in Dynamite and whether or not we'll start to see, you know, maybe more production elements, what sort of differences are going to, you know, basically um, affect Dynamite with Rampage's addition into the schedule. But beyond that, booking your pay-per-view title match on a TV show ahead of the pay-per-view, that is something we see all the time in WWE these days with your limitless number of contenders matches. But in AEW, it is incredibly rare. So again, I feel like 
I have a lot of confidence that they uh, are booking things the way exactly that they want to for great effect in AEW. So I, I, I am curious to see how they do it. Um, but it is certainly unique. And th- what does it tell you, John? Does it tell you that like they don't, they too don't necessarily see Christian versus Kenny as like this super red hot feud that they need to save for a pay per view? And what what does it mean with the championships involved here? Yeah, I, I'm not crazy about this idea of doing both Rampage and the pay-per-view. I think that it's like on paper, you could look at it. Okay, this is a reason to get the Impact title off Kenny and it gives Christian a win uh, going into the pay-per-view. I, I really don't like that. I think that Kenny's first big loss uh, should be a real significant one and not just losing one of the uh, the hanger-on titles, honestly, if you're an AEW viewer. It's not the the prime title of focus. And I think, honestly, what this match has going for it is the actual match itself. Uh, and having a great match on Friday and then promising another great match on pay-per-view, I think it, I think it does somewhat water it down. Unless this is a big it. angle for Friday. And I, I mean, it's just, it's very un-AEW-like to promise you one thing and then deliver like a swerve. That has not been their their mo for the entire duration right unless that swerve is getting out of this christian kenny match at all out because i think most of the audience as evidenced by tonight probably don't really care to see this match at all out because there's so many other challengers for for kenny that they would rather see so i definitely smell something fishy here because it is so unusual for AEW to do this type of booking um you know, hearing you reminding me that Christian said that eight, the AEW title is the most important built in this industry. As much as I would love to see a Christian Cage run back in Impact, because I think it would be a perfect place for him to like just camp out for a bit. I can't see Impact being cool with hit with like you know that guy saying that line and then having their belt being put on that guy. So um maybe i can't or why why would you be rooting like why is christian going for this title on friday why did he go to tony khan to get this title just the warm-up john you know like oh when the impact the warm-up yeah that's how he kind of portrayed it here and then it ended with jungle boy saying he also spoke to tony khan who's just given out these title matches and next wednesday on dynamite it will be jungle boy and luchasaurus challenging the young bucks for the tag titles. So we are getting three title matches on Friday, and then we're getting a tag title match on Wednesday of next week in Houston. There are a lot of active belts currently in the world of AEW, really in the world of wrestling, but AEW is where you kind of get all of them kind of, you know, coming together. And, you know, it, it gives you space to promote multiple title matches every week if you wanted to. But I, I do feel like, you know, they have to make a a real concerted effort to keep it easy to follow and understand for the layman who is not as involved in watching every single one of these shows. Do you think a casual fan can name all the active champions in AEW between your new Japan belts and your impact belts and your AEW belts and your NWA titles that are all available on the show? I I would say it's probably a higher percentage than you think, but it's, it's not covering everybody. Like this is an audience that I think they, like they very much are catering to an audience that reacts when MJF is teasing uh, the opponent being a guy that robbed a bank and they instantly know who it is. So I think it is a higher percentage than we probably think, uh, but that doesn't discount the point that it's still a lot of belts and champions champions uh, to keep track of on this show. That is a show that is 
already very heavy on numbers to begin with. I agree with you, you know, and I'm somebody, of course, who follows everything. So I know exactly what they're talking about when they mention it. But if the intent is to capture that viewer who's coming off of SmackDown, for instance, on a Friday, tuning into this product for the first time, is there a point where you have to draw the line and say, if, if uh, there was a WWE fan sampling AEW for the first time Friday night at 10 o'clock and the first thing they see is the impact title is being defended, <laughs> they're going to be yeah. so confused. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> completely, completely. Excalibur says that Cody Rhodes is out of action because of Malachi Black. We don't know how long he's gone for. And we went to this uh, first of many video features on this show. It's shot in black and white. And Aleister Black has been upgraded from a room to an office. And he says he told everyone it would be quick, short, and violent. And he is lonely because he chooses solitude. Cody already has one foot in the grave. And he holds up the boot, the wrestling boot he left. Let me know, Cody, when the next one's going in. And you he is going to leave you desolate so that the only things you have left to talk to are the shadows. And you will come to understand that the volume of your voice is so low because you realize you've been arguing with God. So it's been a while, John, since we've had uh, Alistair Black recap from you. Dude, this was um, awesome. This was fantastic. I totally agree, John. Like, one of the great things I think we've seen in AEW so far is, like, everybody who is sort of like an Aleister Black type of character, every, anybody who who is able to take advantage of, you know, like a creative sort of video production work, being able to bring their own ideas into uh, the show, and in some cases, in many cases, getting their own videographers or, and editors and directors to create their own stuff. You see it with Darby Allen, you see it with Pac, people who are creating and putting their own spin on what how they want to present their own characters on tv Buddy murphy really now is doing that like that that's become the game is like you that is a huge element now of your presentation online and if there's anything we've seen from uh tommy and alistair black so far is that the man has a lot of creative ideas for how he wants to present his own character so i'm really curious if if you know this is one of those cases where he got his own people we saw him prior to even debuting as malachi black put that you know in, in, in the whole scene uh, debuting the character on on uh, Instagram, so is that going to continue? This was essentially, I think, an evolved version of those dark room promos, and by simply adding a bit of B roll, a bit of music underneath it, they these very kind of like I don't know, more like it, what was in the past, like we kind of laugh at. They were kind of our jokes, right, John? These like black room promos. Now, it, it like this one became full of life and meaning. Um, every sentence that Black said here was told in that same cool, mysterious style. But I actually understood the point of what he was trying to say. I understood every line of what he what he meant. Um, you know, Cody having one foot in the grave as he's holding up the boot that he used to retire from. And uh, I'll, I'll bury the rest whenever you're ready. That's a great line. And it still looked cool. It was a great promo, great segment here, and follow-up to remind you of this big outcome from last week, so it wasn't just forgotten. And they reiterate that Cody is gone for the time being, but the reality show, Roads to the Top, will debut September 29th, and then they threw to a preview of it, which we did not get in Canada. We just went right to a commercial. Well, yeah. No, the roads do not extend to Canada. Fortunately not. Geo blocked. 
They recap Miro's win over Lee Johnson. He remarked how he beat the shit out of him. And this Friday on Rampage, he will face Fuego Del Sol. And if Fuego Del Sol wins, he will also earn a contract with AEW. So those are our three matches. Kenny Omega and Christian Cage, Miro and Fuego Del Sol, and Britt Baker versus Red Velvet. Three title matches in an hour. It's a big hour. Um, it's, it'll be fine. Like, I think you're going to get two lengthy matches, and I see Miro and Fuego being, you know, a, a shorter match. Yeah, it's um, it's it's really hard for me to predict a rating for a show like this. I think it's I I think it'll do very well. Um, I've seen some estimates like in the you know seven to eight hundred thousand range. That that's probably like a fair estimate, though. I feel like AEW. There's like this this buzz that whatever the whatever the majority of the estimates are, you almost tack on uh, like ten percent. So. If they top 800, like, I'm not going to be stunned. And maybe that's really yeah. high. I, there's going to be a whole lot of curiosity, I think, for, for the first show, just for people to see, you know, how important this show is going to be, whether or not there's going to be any further surprise. But really, next week is sort of like, I expect full AEW, like, record-breaking, you know, like, dynamite, top-end dynamite numbers for next week's show. That's going to be hard to do on a Friday night, even even with Punk. Like, it's it's... They have an enormous amount of buzz right now for that show. So that that is certainly going to, I think, represent like what what are you going to draw on a on a Friday night? Um, if this was on Dynamite, I, I mean, they to me would be blowing past that debut number from 2019. Uh, but it's Friday night, so that's a bit tougher. Uh, but we're going to see. I think that the way that they have structured this is very smart that you already have the buzz of episode one. And it's a, it's a very good show. Good lineup. And it's the debut. Week two should be should be well above episode one, you would think. And on top of that, if you play your cards right, episode three should have that extra factor, like we saw with Sting, where Winter is Coming featured Sting's appearance, but the next week beat Winter is Coming. So um, it'll be very interesting how they utilize Punk as well uh, after the first appearance. You know, like the the lead lead character i think or at least going into this this friday's edition it will undoubtedly be Britt baker but um you know as far as i think many viewers are concerned as far as i'm concerned the first few weeks of rampage to me will be characterized by cm punk the conversation will be dominated by cm punk with this show being sort of the conditioning period for next week's cm punk presumably cm punk's debut how hard do you think they hit on the hints this coming friday I think that next Wednesday they should do something that just gets a ton of buzz going on the Thursday, like really hints at it hard. Uh, I, I I don't think they outright say anything, but I, I would want to do something that at least like look at that. The, the interview clip today, like it just got people buzzing even more. It's like punk is so hot right now that it's it's pretty hard to screw this up. And I think AEW has done it really, really well. Daniel Garcia versus Darby Allen. Garcia came out with 2.0. They did an inset promo with 2.0 telling Sting he better watch his ass. And Garcia stating he would have beaten Darby last week if not for Moxley and Kingston. It's a big Darby chant. 2.0 is distracting and Darby gets crotched. And Garcia hits a hammerlock suplex and draws a comparison to Ole Anderson from Jim Ross. Garcia is working on the arm. He hyperextends both while sitting on the lower back. 
And then Allen gets out, hits him up with these slaps, and then Allen comes off the middle rope into a rear naked choke. He escapes from that, flip over stunner, and hits the coffin drop, pinning Daniel Garcia, gets the big pop. But then after, 2.0 are attacking Darby, so Sting gets involved. Darby joins in, and we got a Sting vertical suplex delivered to Matt Lee on the ramp. This 2.0 might be my most underrated favorite story of the year. Here are these guys who were given nothing, absolutely nothing at NXT. They had to get coffee mugs was what they had to work with. They got a web show. They got their web show and they just worked at whatever they had. They get fired. And now they're getting a match on TV with Sting. Yeah, it's pretty great. I mean, again, you know, that little time that they had in NXT, that little exposure they had in NXT, I think was enough to build enough interest, at least in an audience wanting to see them continue their uh, talents on display, you know, in in an AEW Dynamite. And uh, it, it feels like this will be a place where they can really kind of like it be be utilized to their full extent. So I'm, I was really happy to see them. Um, but for me, the person who stole this match was Daniel Garcia. Just like He's the six great. man, you know, the win here was for Darby Allen. He's the featured character be, moving on to further storylines. But, man, I thought this was a great showcase for Garcia uh, on what was likely, you know, probably the biggest stage of his career. He took like 90% of this match. He is a good looking kid with a very refined, aggressive, technical style, which to me, like immediately sets him apart from your core young you know typical AEW cruiserweight high-flying wrestler already he and on top of that he's got a tremendous heel presence in ring his promo sounded really good at the start of this match here his stuff in between the moves like really reminds me of i think a, a, a randy orton at you know orton's more matured stages and this kid is only what 22 yep like that's ridiculous so to me like he he immediately you know, feels like if he sticks around, could be a a major player for the company. Yeah. I mean, just um, even the facial expressions, like for 22, I mean, he's got like this, this care, this persona down, like for the in-ring stuff that really emphasizes the the style that he works as well. No, he, he is great. And I think he is going to represent um, kind of like your, the new environment that if you're a, a top independent star, it's it's not going to be seven, eight years before you get on national TV. It's like, these are the guys you're going to be going for. It's like, I, I would be stunned if AEW does not lock this guy up. Mm-hmm. Yes. Death Triangle reunited with Pac. They all want Andrade, but Pac tells them, you two need to worry about the tag titles because you are the best. I will take care of Andrade. And he wants to know why he's so obsessed with Death Triangle and he challenges Andrade to have a go if you're hard enough. Yes. Mm-hmm. So they're both going to have a go <laughs> at All Out. Uh, okay. Have a, a go. go? Yes. All right. Well, Maybe that's going to signal the return of a go-go. Uh, yeah. Two goes. Yeah, sure. I think Pac sounds great. Um, his in-ring chemistry with the Lucha Brothers is tremendous, but I I don't really I didn't really like this backstage promo. This is a I, normal conversation, way a guy <laughs> you haven't seen. He's there in his uh in his tights, his trunks, just 
just standing there. You know, I, I really just kind of found the flow of, of, I mean, it was not a conversation, but even like as a promo, it didn't, it felt a little bit awkward to me. So I, I don't know. They, they haven't really, um, sh- like it's, I don't, I, it's hard for me to buy that these guys are a tight knit group, you know? Orange Cassidy, Chuck Taylor, and Wheeler, Utah versus Matt Hardy and Private Party. Matt was doing the delete chant and Orange Cassidy forced Matt's hand into his pocket and then got a roll up from that. Uh, he, uh, Orange Cassidy does his version of a splash and then the weak kicks to Mark Quinn. Silly string was hit to Wheeler, Utah. A lot of focus here was on Wheeler, Utah, that he's trying to get his first win in AEW and he keeps coming up short. Cassidy got pulled to the floor by the bunny, so Chris Statlander got involved, and then Nyla Rose ran out to knock over Statlander as a precursor to their match tonight. Jack Evans then got involved. Chuck Taylor gets the tag. He hits a Topicon Hero onto Angelico and the Blade. I have just gone through all these sequences, and I don't think I've named the same person twice, because that's how many people were involved in this. There was like a hundred. Taylor hit a spinning Liger bomb. Matt makes the save. Cassidy's back for his big return, including a Tope Suicida to Hardy. And then Utah had a bridging German and Isaiah Cassidy comes off the top of the Swanton to break it up. Taylor gets sent over to the guardrail. Gin and Juice is hit on Utah. Orange Cassidy is back. And finally, Hardy throws Quen into Orange Cassidy. Evans then distracts and there's a twist of fate onto Wheeler, Utah. Matt Hardy pins Utah as his losing streak continues. A lot going on here. I had very much the same complaint as I was watching this match. I actually thought this this match somewhat failed as evidenced by, I think, a lack of crowd energy for Utah's final stretch. They weren't really reacting to the offense by the end, not really reacting to the kickouts. And I don't really blame Wheeler Utah. I blame the overbooking of this match. I blame how poorly established and how overcrowded this hardy family office is they are a terrible faction if you're watching dynamite again i preface i don't watch dark i don't watch elevation mate they could be doing a great deal of building of this the dynamics between the characters in this hardy family office with tremendous backstory i don't know i watch dynamite exclusively and therefore i their identity to me is zero beyond or paid by mad hardy there are too many unestablished guys that people just don't care about getting involved in a match like this. Too many people to focus on with no uniting narrative. So I I felt this was a bit of a fumble. And I think this faction should either be cut down or cleaned up a little bit or be given more TV time to establish everybody's individual stories. I actually think like that's sort of becoming the defining trait of this heel unit is the numbers game is what they have. Like that is, they just outnumber everyone. But in the process of presenting that, I think like you're just trying to get a lot across here. Like this crowd, they wanted to see Orange Cassidy and they got into all of his involvement here. But I think like there was a there was a focus on like you were trying to tell the story with Wheeler Utah. You also had Chuck Taylor get like his hot tag and his offense in. And then you're also trying to bridge uh, Nyla Rose into this to set up the Chris Statlander match. That's it. That seemed totally unnecessary to me. Like it was okay. Statlander overcomes this attack and wins a three minute match. I don't know. Was that that much of an obstacle for her that we needed this extra run in when we were already doing so much here? Um, so, yeah, there was. Or you could have saved the attack for the end of the match and lead right into the next match, you know, rather than the body of the match itself. It was the next match. You could have maybe bled more seamlessly into the next match from that. But a, a lot 
coming here. I really do like Wheeler, Utah. I'm glad that that they have, you know, honed in on this guy. I think he has a ton of talent and uh, just I think what what do you see them building up here for the Hardy family office? Because they are giving them wins as we're going week by week. They are like what sort of momentum are they building? I can't even really tell you who's the focus here. Well, it looks like Hardy and something Ooh. or other. It seems like they're Orange. ultimately building to some blow off here with the best friends right? faction. So I guess Orange and, and Hardy, is that it? Maybe. It's we it's Wheeler Utah that has been getting like I think the the bulk of the the story or at least appearances on Dynamite it feels lately. Um but I don't know beyond that, I can't really tell you much about it. They're just like they're just people on the screen to me. Dasha interviewed Andrade and Chavo, who called Pac ungrateful for all that they had provided him, including limo service. And Chavo suggests that Andrade teach Pac a l- who is boss at All Out. Who's the boss? Who's the boss? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think this is that match is probably the best for Andrade. Like here is his ability to go out there and just have a a kick-ass match with Pac. Um, which he needs. I think he really needs this. Yeah, well, he hasn't had many matches, period, it feels, on Dynamite. So, and, and but he already fine. feels like he's in, like he doesn't have the newness factor, which is very hard to maintain in this company because there's always, uh, the, the entrance is always open and there's always new people coming to the party. So it's very hard to maintain that. Um, even mm-hmm. Malachi Black before last week. I mean, it's, you got to make your impact quick or else it's, you're just trying to tread water with everyone because there's a lot of new acts showing up and attention that only goes around so often. So I think with Andrade and Pac, I mean, that's that's a great opponent to have on a pay-per-view setting that hopefully they get 12, 13 minutes and it could be a phenomenal match. Uh, it, it better be because I, I can't see anybody not having a good match against Pac. Like he... He's just almost a sure thing. So, given enough time on a TV on a on a pay per view, uh, let's let's hope that Andrade is able to really kind of redefine um, maybe you know the last appearance that he had. The next feature was on Santana and Ortiz, who guarantee a different outcome if they have a rematch with FTR. This was our excuse to once again show Cash Wheeler's the skin of his forearm being ripped off. And Santana and Ortiz stating they're coming for blood as they issue the challenge. So it looks like we will revisit that uh, when Cash Wheeler returns. They're building a lot, but I don't see all of this just, you know, culminating with this pay-per-view cycle. You have a lot of big shows. And this match, you know, they did the first match in North Carolina, correct? The second one, the second one, well, it should be at Arthur Ashe Stadium. In Queens, oh, that should be call. the rematch, I think. Like, don't do this at okay. the pay-per-view. The pay-per-view looks loaded already. So, you know, let Cash Wheeler rehab, and then he comes back, and that should be one of the featured matches. Yeah. Can you um, re- remind me what he's, what Santana said in this promo? Because beyond, um, I guess, you know, like, we're coming for you. Didn't he say, like, you guys grabbed your ball and you went home? He did say that, I think, yeah. The grabbed your ball and went home. So what exactly does that mean in the context of sport here? You know, like the, the t- when I watched the promo, I almost got the sense that he was like almost calling FTR like, you know, kind of wusses for for leaving, I suppose. That was kind of the implication. Like we're we're having a war and we don't let injuries get in the way of 
a street fight. So leaving like to this week, like not being in active competition, is that what they're saying? Or and he's gone home match? to nurse's injury. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's how well, I took it. Okay. Nyla Rose and Chris Statlander. Um, Orange Cassidy was back out for this, and Vicky just screamed in his ear. Screamed. Yeah, that's her thing. Screaming. That would be... I would rather take, like, something physical than getting screamed in my ear. Like, that would just be... I wouldn't like that. Yeah, I wouldn't like it either. No. Like, hit me with a chair. I'll take a chair shot. Really? Over that, yeah. Have you taken many chair shots? I have not, no. You might feel differently if you have. Uh, Chris Statlander is draped on the top rope, but she does a handstand to come off. Rose continues with the pressure, and then Chris comes out of the corner with a powerbomb and finishes her with a 450 splash in three minutes and five seconds. And they were pushing Statlander hard here that she has won nine in a row and is a future contender. It seemed like they are... They are poised. Uh, they are presenting her as probably the challenger for the winner of Friday's match. Nyla is a big win for anybody in the division, so uh, I think this firmly puts Statlander into focus as your next challenger. Yeah, the Young Bucks are with Brandon Cutler around the basketball net. They make fun of Hangman Page. They are the best of all time. And next week against Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, it will be as easy as a layup. But then. As Nick goes for the layup, boom, Luchasaurus blocks the shot, and Jungle Boy takes the ball and hits and dunks the ball, as they call foul. They are getting all they can out of this basketball setup. Some pretty good basketball choreography over the past several weeks from the Bucks in these segments. And uh makes you want to see that match. The basketball match. It should be two on two next week. Or three-on-three, three even. Red Velvet said that she has proved who she has become and gotten into the top five. She is 22-7 and seven with seven straight wins. Just kind of like serious video hyping up her as a challenger. And then we get the angle, which was Shivani bringing out Britt Baker. And the whole crowd, they're going nuts for Baker. She's all decked out in yellow and gold. And... She just how, did cut- we, how did we not get more baked good puns in the build to this match? Um, that's know? that's a great that's a great point. Um, this was really unfortunate because um, yes, they have got this great babyface star when they go to Pittsburgh, but way the heat, the heat. <laughs> They've got oh, it. Yeah. yeah. What if they humiliated her on Friday and left her laying there in Pittsburgh? Humiliated, embarrassed. Oh, a wasted opportunity. I mean, if they're if they don't play their cards right, they might get this reaction next time they come back to Pittsburgh. They might do really well in this city, no matter what state their business is in, because they've they have a hometown star. I mean, this is very dangerous booking. She says she was not afraid to step up when this city needed a champion. They all cheered. They're like, Yes, our sports teams suck. There's a huge DMD chant. She bleeds black and gold. It's been a tough year, but I present hope. And she holds up the belt. And Red Velvet, you might have had a glimmer of it if I was wrestling anywhere else but Britsburg on Friday. I'm dragging you to the deep end, and I'm facing you in the main event 
of Rampage. And with that, Red Velvet jumps her just to ensure that this crowd will hate this woman on Friday. So you pretty much mm-hmm. have established this. I, I like th- when they when they do this. Like Britt Baker is the you are conditioned to react to her as a heel. So it almost gives Pittsburgh like this agency, like we're going against the usual reaction. And it's going to create this great dynamic on Friday where she will be a million percent babyface. And this angle was go to town and treat Red Velvet as the defined heel in this program who is coming for our hope against our only champion. (laughs) The only competent athlete to come out of our city. Yeah. Uh, I thought, you know, I didn't really, it made sense why Red Velvet is, you know, a challenger for this. I I think seeing it in this context, though, gave me some pause because she is presumably going to be booed, like maybe even potentially worse than uh, several other heels in this show, maybe on Friday, because Britt Baker is that much of a hometown favorite. But, you know. It's an interesting choice of opponent because we've never seen Red Velvet work heel. She is a firmly established baby face in that division. And how is she going to navigate that? Will she lean in to the heel reaction? Will she play heel? Or is she just going to, you know, ride along and perform? And is this going to be more of a double baby face situation with one baby face being, you know, uh, overwhelmingly uh, more supported by the crowd? I I think that's what they want. And I think this, they are selling you like the crowd is going to be as entertaining as the match here because it's going to have this feeling of like, we are all behind the hometown star and they just want to create an atmosphere and kind of ensured it, I think, with this kind of an angle. But it's, I mean, this will be a real testament to them because Red Velvet was not this built up character for weeks and weeks to get here. Like this is pretty much the setup last week and this, that's what they've, they've given her. Like a lot of it is on the shoulders of Baker. You can, you can have some leniency there, but I I do think that Red Velvet. This is a, a huge opportunity for her too to mm-hmm. be in the, be in this role and see like can you effectively build up um, a believable challenger with yeah very little on the main show in these two weeks. And who is next in line? You know, um, I think it would be the perfect stage to uh, establish Baker's next next contender, next challenger after she wins this match and gets beaten down beating the shit out of in front of her hometown. Carl Anderson, Doc Gallows versus Evil Uno and Stu Grayson for the Impact Tag Titles with Scott Demore on commentary and Brian Hebner as our referee in this Impact Sanction match. Um, so Evil Uno goes we, to... We also had a Starks and Cage video briefly there. I totally missed the Starks and Cage yeah. video. Yeah, same thing you saw last week pretty much. Uh, Colt Cabana decked Brandon Cutler and fought him up the ramp when Kazarian appeared and took him out. Scott Demore noting he was an Impact original. And we go through the picture in picture. Grayson gets the tag. Grayson looked great here. He did this corkscrew quebrada onto Carl Anderson. Tries to lift up Gallows but can't. And then they did the spot where Anderson was staggering backwards. Is kicked back up by Uno into a suplex by Grayson to Gallows in the corner. The champions come back. They try for the magic killer. It gets stopped. Grayson is thrown to the floor with a suicide dive, and then they hit a flatliner to Anderson, but a belt is thrown in. This distracts the ref. They hit the gun stun and the magic killer, and Grayson takes the fall in 7 minutes and 38 seconds. Stu Grayson looked amazing here, as as he usually does. You know, he's been gaining a reputation on a, in AEW 
for being a very underrated performer on the show. And he, he certainly added credibility to that opinion through this performance. Um, finish was, I thought a little disappointing, not that creative, nor good, just, you know, your typical kind of built distraction type of thing. It, it felt to me like the crowd had peaked earlier by this point in the show, not really recovering for like any of these last three matches. Um, the match was good. I, I thought the finish was just meh. They also probably got what was among the most, the largest things they wanted was Britt Baker's segment. And you're following that too. Um, yeah, I agreed with you. I thought Grayson really looked great here. The match was, it was, it was fine. I, I wouldn't say it was blow away great or anything like that. One thing was on the commentary when either Uno or Grayson uh, got, was going for the cover and Damore was like building it up like, could we get new Impact Tag Team Champions? It's like, this is the guy representing Impact who doesn't seem to have any issue with whoever is champions here. Like, we essentially have your guys with their championship on the line. Like, do you care? Do you get the automatic rights to Uno and Grayson? Is there any is there any stakes to this for you as an Impact representative that your tag titles might be lost to AEW representatives? Has that really been established so much throughout any of this sort of Forbidden Door stuff? I mean, the idea is Omega is the outsider that has the Impact tag title, and Impact is trying but to get... But he's on your back. show every week. It's like, Well, it's that's the, best the problem, is show. that... And Damore did not play... Like, he called this, like, Uno and Grayson were the baby faces. He, he put over Anderson and Gallows as a great team, but he was not biased here towards either side. It was like, oh, if we lose the tag titles, oh, it's a title change. I mean, it's re- realistically, it's it's good for him. It's good for impact. But. I mean, when you take the step back, it's like your representatives are on TV. You got your impact title is going to kick off Rampage on Friday. This is working great for you. Yeah, <laughs> you should be helping them lose. It's not doing much for Impact's numbers right now on on Thursdays, but they are being seen on the other programming for AEW. At least, I mean, it's it's making it more a bit more relevant than usual. Then we got a preview for Camille and Layla Hirsch for uh, their upcoming NWA women's title match at the end of August. Camille says that you will not take me off my feet and the forbidden door has been opened. I promise you when the forbidden door was forbidden, it was not to keep the NWA out (laughs) of other pro wrestling business okay i promise you this is not the the secret pact that was made between billy corgan and tony khan to allow camille onto aew dynamite it's um maybe it's more of like you know a a little window um that that was open a crack uh yeah people forgot about forgot to close this is like a palm tree separating you from your neighbors (laughs) on the beach um well, nonetheless, okay, John, like the the term is there. You want to be included in sort of the fun. You want to call yourself, you know, a part. Of, you want to make yourself seem big. And, and you know what? I think in the context of, of like certainly women's wrestling right now, this Empower show is maybe the most buzzworthy thing to in, in women's wrestling uh, at, at the current moment. So it to me is worthy of the Forbidden Door uh, moniker. Um, I think Camille is somebody who really garners a whole lot of interest just by existing. You know, you have, I haven't really seen her in ring in quite some time, so I don't really know her current level, but I can definitely see a lot more interest from AEW audiences simply based off of her very unique presence. After weeks of promising this segment, QT Marshall was in the ring with Tony Schiavone, along with uh, Aaron Solo and Nick Camarado was out there too. And he says, 
it's Tony that should be giving him an apology for his disrespect and not QT for dumping the, uh, what was it? The uh, protein drink or protein shake all over Tony. Now, what I loved about this was that (laughs) earlier in the show, Tony was just in his usual excitable mode, noting this show is so great. I had to bring my son here tonight. And he just threw it in as this random line earlier. And you never thought about it again until QT says, I apologize for what I'm about to do to your son. And I just thought it was like that Malachi Black where the lights flicker and you just don't even like register it as much. And then it has this payoff later in the show. Not to the same extent, uh, with all due respect to Christopher Shivani. But there in the front row is Christopher. And he grabs him and pulls him in. Tony is pissed. He apologizes, calls QT a son of a bitch. But QT still stuns. Christopher Shivani. And then this music plays. Wait, I had no idea who was coming out. I did not recognize this music. The lo- the font comes up. No more BS. I was like, who in God's name is this? I had no idea who this was. Out comes Paul White. It's like, okay, no one knew who this was coming out. So he comes out and it's the big angle where Paul White is standing up for his elevation broadcast partner while staring at him. And this this was the task that Paul White had, was to perform a chokeslam and literally not take his eyes off QT, nor blink. He was able to do this, and by the end of this, you are left with the tease of Paul White having his first AEW match with QT Marshall. Yeah. Um, I mean... I don't think this they- is, should be at the pay-per-view. I don't even know if it should be on dynamite. It might be an elevation match, you know, like for for an elevation feud. But um um I personally I, I don't even know what the real chances are of like, you know, Paul White wrestling at this point. I I it could very well be be true, but I I I'm not really interested in anything involving Q, QT Marshall unfortunately. But if this is to lead to something involving Nick Camaroto and Paul White or Paul White Anthony Gogo you know, in a battle of the knockout punches type of right. storyline, that could be really interesting. Um, this this factory is, you know, they they essentially lost like to to Cody pretty badly, and uh, they are in great need of rehabbing. Uh, I I'm not exactly sure what a big show rivalry might do for them in 2021, but. Uh, he is a name, and you know, if you're starting a brand new show on Rampage or really any of your other properties, it could be valuable for some of those younger guys. All I want out of this is next week or on Friday, a sit down where Tony Schiavone stares into the camera. He takes the glasses off and cuts the promo of his life on that bastard QT Marshall and what you did to my son. I want him to channel Archer the Stomper Gouldy. When his wow. son, that great stampede angle that they couldn't capitalize on. That's what I want out of Tony Schiavone. The promo of all promos from Tony. Um, you know, it's uh, it's an untapped side um, that we could see. QT Marshall, I said this for many years, and I mean it now. We're out of time, and you've got to go. <laughs> <laughs> we saw glimpses of it. We saw it briefly for uh, when he when he cut that great promo on Mike Tanay. 
you remember. Oh, the yeah, yeah, when they tried DNA. him out as the heel that week. You're right. So next week on Dynamite, this is Dynamite in Houston, Young Bucks against Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy for the tag titles. Hometown star Sammy Guevara taking on Sean Spears, plus a major announcement from Guevara. And in a Texas Tornado match, Darby Allen and Sting versus 2.0 in Sting's first match on television since 2015. Interesting. For some people, a draw. Um, I think Sting will mean something on free television. Totally. And, uh, well, and we're going to get, well, we'll get to that after. Like, there's... There's some big matches next week. I would say all four of like have something of note for next week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean this will not be a cinematic match. Uh, we have seen Sting, you know, uh, be be act- actively involved in a live setting match, but um, how much will he do? It's it's always a point of curiosity. He definitely over delivered at the pay per view, the last pay per view. Mm-hmm. They recap Joey Janela's turn on Sunny Kiss on Elevation, calling him a coward and a snake. That's our update from Elevation. All right. Yeah, and, uh, John John Cena covers it this week on Shot in the Dark. Check it out. The fourth labor of Jericho was the main event. Jericho versus Wardlow with MJF at ringside. And Shivani just casually mentions that Wardlow has wrestled here in the Pittsburgh area for the International Wrestling Cartel. So, I mean, the doors are wide open of the different references. I just like the fact that it's like... There's the a whole world that exists in pro wrestling. We're just like a slice of it here in AEW. These people lived before they came to AEW. They had lives. Mm-hmm. They just fall yeah. out of the sky and we sign them. Jericho hit the code breaker early and Wardlow kicks out at one. This was interesting. This is the fourth week in a row that Jericho has had a singles match. Prior to these labors, he had had eight matches this entire year. One singles match this year. It's it, yeah, that's what makes I think this whole labor thing um, pretty interesting. And he's know, working like pretty hard matches too. Oh, in this match, he took like ten power bombs. So like like last week, like that that took a lot. Even like with Hoovy, like that's and then you had the Nick Gage match that was the most intense of them all. Well, you know he's about to release that book, so he's probably got to start a new list of matches. He's trying to rack them back up. Wardlow struggles to get him up, and then hits the power bomb, and then he just. Gave him power bomb after power bomb after power bomb. They went through the break. He spins Jericho off for an F10, and MJF is telling him to continue to inflict punishment. He places him on the turnbuckle for his finish, but then Jericho slips off, applying the walls, and MJF breaks it by raking the eyes from the floor. Then MJF tries to pass the ring and gets ejected by Aubrey Edwards, which... Was this not the stipulation that he gets to be at ringside? Um, MJF. That was the stipulation. I, the stipulation. I thought the stipulation was that like uh, inner circle people couldn't be ringside. He said MJF would be at ringside. Right, but he wasn't allowed to cheat. You know, if he cheats, you could it, you could. He should have worded his stipulation out. much better. I can be at ringside without any and, officiating. And he wasn't. He wasn't ringside. He was in the ring by this point. I guess. Yeah. He really. He really messed up on this. This stipulation. Like he could have chosen anything. You're right. He could have said, "I know, can give Wardlow the ring when I choose from ringside." Yeah, or like you know, Chris Jericho is blindfolded, or like Chris Jericho has to be, t- um, t- you know, tied to the mat with duct tape and somebody could just walk in and 
uh, one count. It's a it's a one count match against Chris Jericho. You know, Wardlow gets a gun. Could have, uh, nah. I mean, the limitations yeah. are your imagination. I don't know if Domino's would would appreciate that. Jericho has his bat and nails Wardlow behind the referee's back. So this has just gone to hell for MJF. And the Judas effect is hit, and he pins Wardlow for the big pop. And they announce that it's Jericho and MJF next week in Houston. Right. Next week. Yeah, that kind of surprised me. I thought they would actually save it for All Out. You know, They must a, have a, another idea for All Out. A, a match with that much build. So... Um, you know, uh, Jericho took a lot of punishment here, and I think that the match was overall successful in building Wardlow as this kind of monster threat. I will have to say, though, I've been enjoying this labor thing, but, you know, this beating was nowhere near the level of what he received from Nick Gage. And so I think the pacing of these labors didn't really build in the most gradual way. Um, and I don't know if that's because they, they didn't anticipate perhaps maybe some of the traction that, that a Nick Gage... <laughs> Deathmatch would have received, but I do feel like because we've seen Jericho take worse prior in this story, it kind of took away some of the danger of an otherwise like really dangerous character, like like a Wardlow here. Sean Spears jumps Jericho, so Sammy Guevara runs out. He gets slammed down by Wardlow. MJF is back with the salt of the earth on Jericho. Jericho starts tapping out, and then Jake Hager comes out to clear the ring, and MJF announces the stipulation for next week. No Judas effect, which he has used to win all of these matches, but more importantly, no Judas music, <laughs> which is amazing. It also is sets the possibility of if you can like instruct this crowd, if they could sing the whole song by themselves, that oh, would be yeah. unbelievable. If they can, like, you'd almost have to teach them, like, by doing the fucking bouncy ball lyrics during the break to get them ready. Nobody knows the the actual. That's it. They know, like, the big chorus they that they're the chorus. called upon for. But the entire thing, it's ambitious. It would it's be going to awesome. be a lot of, like, if they try to be a lot of drunken karaoke, like, we, we, you are. Uh, what, what if they hand them out, like, pages when they walk into the, <laughs> the arena? They give them the lyrics. And call upon them at... Uh, Trying to get this crowd without music to sing in sync, that's going to be as big of a challenge as getting them to chant. Uh, it was the first thing I thought of, was like, he can't just walk out to silence. Like, this crowd, some portion of this crowd is going to try to sing, so it could be a total mess. But it's not going to be like this crowd is just sitting on their hands doing nothing when he walks out. We shall see. We shall yeah. see. I think Jericho and, should lose just based off of not having music, you know? Like, in story, they could start saying, oh, the character gains this power. It's like the urn. It's like the Undertaker's urn. You know? It's like also his, his chance he could just introduce a new Fozzie track. Like, his next single. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> They're going on tour, so maybe it's time that we get some new songs out. <laughs> I don't think he can at this point. I think any other song he plays besides Judas is not going to get a good reaction. Yeah, I... He always seems to be the type that want, when something is really hot, it's what's moving on to the next thing. But I mean, he's going to have a hell of a time if he tries to change Judas. It's just, I don't think I'd mess with that. Not as long as like, this is the reaction you get for it. It's just, it's such a cool part of the show. If you're a fan going, the only thing I want to see is when he turns heel, I need Snoop Dogg to get on a remix. That, that would be the Avenue to explore. MJF referred to himself as mystic max, which was a clever play on words. And, Made his prediction. 
that he is going to be both 155 pound and 145 pound champion at the same time. Huh. He said, okay. "There's a new king in town, and you have not just met your match." Hey, but I on that note, sorry, on that note, um, Mystic Black's birthday recently. You're right; it was his birthday on Tuesday. Happy yes. birthday, Robin Black, Mystic Black. You're right; very good uh, tie-in there. Yeah, just came to me. And that was the show. That was uh, that was dynamite. So a lot set up for both Rampage on Friday for Houston next Wednesday, which suddenly feels like a pretty big show when you've got. Jericho and MJF, Sting Wrestling, Sammy Guevara in Houston, which should be, for, for the live crowd, that'll be pretty big, and the Bucks defending the tag titles. So I, I, and it's two days before the first dance. So I think like there's going to be a lot of big buzz on AEW next week, and it kind of culminates with Friday next week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of things going on in AEW right now. A lot of storylines um, that may or may not peak heading into All Out. Uh, they're having to establish a brand new show at a brand new hour um, and still trying to keep up this momentum for Dynamite. So, you know, do, uh, any predictions on whether or not this one hits a million? Tonight's show? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say yes. I just think that they're riding that. Um, they, they've they've topped it four weeks in a row. I think that they've kind of established this, this level. Um, there's no Olympics this week. And we're going to see. Like, NXT was up a lot more than I thought they would for their first week back to USA. Um, I'm going to say yes. I am going to say yes. Yeah, the Olympic thing, I think, maybe gives me a reason to believe that the answer may be yes. But, I mean, if that is the case, that is a really good sign because this was not a bad show, but hardly, I think, the show with, like, you know, your major pay-per-view feeling like caliber type of main event or any sort of match on the show to to really get you that attracted to it. So uh, we shall see tomorrow at some point. All right, let's go on over to forum.postwrestling.com to get everyone's feedback to tonight's episode. Wait, do you want to read the poll results? Sure. Out of 10, what did you guys give this edition of Dynamite? A 6.26. Well, let's see how you guys justify it. We got a Bruce who says a fun enough show with a lot of time given over to inoffensive and unremarkable mid-card stories. As always, everything on Dynamite happens to advance stories or characters, but not every one of those is going to feel impactful or catch fire. That certainly can't be said for Dante Martin, though. He's looked great on Dark for the past few months, and while I think he's been on Dynamite a couple of times even after Darius's injury, this felt like a real breakthrough moment. I'm seeing a number of comments about how lukewarm Christian and Omega feels, and while I don't disagree, the timing of it seems like a necessary evil in order to give Paige and Omega and Punk's debut each the spotlight that they deserve. Lastly, Omega defending his two non-AEW titles on consecutive nights seems noteworthy. I don't have any specific stories or predictions, but it would I, I would be curious as to what you guys might think. Like, I know that that's how it's set up, that it could be, okay, he loses both belts. He's on this losing streak. Could Christian beat him again? I just don't like it. I don't think, like, that's... When you're setting up all this stuff for Omega, I think that he should just... You're riding this whole belt collector thing. I don't think Christian should be the first guy to beat Kenny Omega for any of the titles. Um, I just I just don't like that. Christian is not the end game. He is, you know, a setup for bigger opponents ahead and i just think that ultimately it should not be kind of chipping away with the losing the smaller titles first before the aew title so it would not be my call to give him back-to-back losses uh this weekend 
Um, I, I don't think I'd want to beat him on either night, to be honest. I agree. You know, if you're AEW and presumably in control of, I think, a lot of these business practices, perhaps you have a bit more leverage than some of the other promotions that you're working with here. Um, I I also don't really know the kind of um, context, you know, in, in, in which these belts were negotiated to appear on, on their shows. Um, contractually, there could be, you know, some sort of end date to this agreement that says you have to drop the belt by this date and it could be AAA's biggest show. I I don't really know, but I, you know, AAA is, uh, Triple Mania is a show that received no mention. That was a match that received zero mention on this show. So I could see them not really caring so much about the result of that one. He hardly ever mentions or even carries that belt with him. Um, so that one might be more likely, but the whole Christian Omega booking is really peculiar and very different for AEW that I feel like something else might be at play. So I'm curious to see how that plays out just, you know, for, for the scenario alone. MJ wrote that the crowd seemed insanely hot tonight. Dante had his coming out party. Britt Baker is an amazing success story. And to see her get that kind of reception in her city is awesome to see as a fan. But thinking about her journey as a real person beyond the character she's playing. I just can't believe that Omega and Cage is the all-out match. Somehow they have to get this to Hangman and Kenny without overshadowing Hangman's chase by Punk's debut. What if Cage is taken out and Hangman is given the shot? Who is upset? Isn't he still the highest ranked? Show is already sold out with no card. The pop reaction for that kind of swerve would put the spotlight equally back on Page. And this story is so hot, it can be ready on short notice. Especially if it's done the week of, because we operate in a day of news cycle. Um, I, I just think, like, the timing is not right for it. Like, how do you... What would be your way you book that match? It's... I don't think Kenny should be losing the title right now. If If you've got these potentially big matches i think they're more important if you've got the championship attached to them and i think that by the end of this i like if hangman page is forgotten about and he's just dead in the water like i just i don't fathom that in the least like i think hangman page is the end goal but it's it's been affected by what's in the in the near future and that is kenny omega as a strong champion having you know, at least one, if not two big matches over the next few months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see how they play it out. I mean, getting the belts onto Kenny, I think, was a big news event. But I think it'll be just as interesting to see how they get those belts off of him. Because it means Kenny will have to lose a lot of matches in succession over a, a period of time. And I'm assuming that at least several, one or two of those might be screwy finishes. But I, I also think AEW, you know, is not... The type of promotion is the type of promotion that maybe is 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 very kind of conservative when it comes to your fuck finishes for big matches. So and and also I, advertising matches and not delivering them. It would it, it's one reason why I think if they announce tonight that all out is Omega and Christian that you're you're geared to expect that for this would September be an exception 5th. though, especially like if they replace this match with Page versus Omega. I, I don't think anybody would complain. You know, it would be a unique booking tactic and one that um, would certainly be a little bit risky uh, to, to dangle one. But they, they, you can argue that they dangled the carrot to begin with as being Page versus Omega. And this is sort of like a, a weird bit of little decoy. Um, it's, it's, it's a different story for AEW. And again, I'm, I'm curious to see how they play it out. 
We get Aaron who says, This was the first full episode of Dynamite I've seen in a while. Lately, I've just been tuning in for the main events, but I decided to give this one a full go. As it stands, I'm still not a fan of the Elite or Darby Allen, two of the reasons I stopped watching AEW a while ago. While Jericho vs. Wardlow didn't feel as big as previous labors, I was actually interested in how they'd work around Wardlow being pinned. In the end, I'm glad Jericho was able to win via classic referee distraction. I feel like Jericho should be putting something on the line if he loses his next match against MJF. It doesn't need to be his career, but even something like Loser Leaves Town would be fine. I feel like the stakes need to be higher, or else these past four matches lose their importance. What could he put up? Maybe the song. I will never... Uh, the publishing rights to it. Ooh, every time the song gets played, MJF makes money. Yeah. Like any Fozzie concert. Oh my god. Wow. Every single time, every time it comes out. That's that's really interesting story. Wow. Alright, next up here is Dan, who writes his highlights were Dante Martin being received like the second coming of Jesus Christ and Sidney Crosby. I don't know if it was quite at that level. Um Christian Cage matadoring a CM Punk chanting crowd into paying attention. Dark Order looking like a million bucks, and Kenny Omega's continued pursuit of anti-cool. A few lowlights. The terrible towel always feels low rent. I recognize I'm complaining about towel use on a show featuring a basketball-playing dinosaur man, but it looks shitty at any sporting event. All right. Um, I don't even know. Like, so what is that? Is that like a a brand of towel that's like used at sporting events? Yeah, for like the Steelers games. I mean, it's it's a so Pittsburgh. It's- Oh, so it's a Pittsburgh thing. Like a yellow towel is called the terrible towel? Yeah. Oh, why? Um, I don't know the origin. All right. Just the name okay. of the towel. And now I'll get many answers to that question. No, okay. You know. Wasn't MJF supposed to be the guest referee tonight? No, that was... Uh, they, they, did re- they did clarify that last week. He was to be ringside. Um, all right. So there we go. Okay, we got a Chris from Melbourne who says, Dante Martin is an absolute star in the making, and Britt Baker's entire segment is another example of why WWE's reluctance to let a character have a strong connection to their hometown is a confusing move. Britt's upcoming main event match is going to be huge, even with Red Velvet being a relatively low-stakes threat. Paul White's theme sounds like it was fun to record, almost as a parody of his WWE theme. Lastly, Camille's speech should have been wiped from the NWA promo package, as I think it undid a lot of the hype from her face-off last week. In Australia, Rampage will be live on Saturday at midday, and I'm very excited for this new Saturday tradition to kick off. That's a great time slot for wrestling. Gives yeah, you looks, love man, Saturday at noon. All right, and we finish off with Kate. As a fan of flippy shit, that opening match was a treat for me. I thought Dante Martin looked like a superstar despite taking the pin. I find he sells really well on top of the incredible offense. Not sure when his brothers do back, but if it's soon, I can see them getting a program with the Bucks. I'm assuming that Omega and Christian is your all-out match because something bigger will be on the card. Adding the match for the Impact title is an interesting angle because I can actually see them see him winning that, which would be the first time Omega has been pinned this decade, unless Andrade wins this weekend. Once Hangman is back from his paternity leave, I think he goes right to the front of the line, so I'm not worried about that story losing momentum. Although the build to Andrade and Pac hasn't been great, I'm excited to see the match. I can't say the same for QT versus anyone, and I feel like there are people who should be getting getting time ahead of him and would be happy to see Paul White versus Nick Comoroto. And adds at the end here, do you think we get a Daniel Garcia-Wheeler-Utah match at some point on AEW television this coming off their 60-minute match over the weekend? 
Um, Probably not for yeah. 60 minutes on AEW television, but um, oh. sure, they, they could do the rematch. But I, I would like to see them like have a reason for it rather than just throw them out there. They're both in, you know, being established at the moment, um, don't really have so much um, character yet to justify a match between two relative unknowns. But yeah, at some point, sure. All right. Thanks, everybody. We appreciate the feedback, as always. Okay, cool. Wait. Great. What if... <laughs> what if AEW what? Uh, was able to be a new animated series on Disney Plus, and they could just come up with all these storylines that they don't have to stay loyal to beyond the body of that one episode. Well, I would certainly be interested to see, you know, uh, what if um, Orange Cassidy uh, joined DX <laughs> or uh, what if Kevin Nash uh, became the belt collector? Huh? I don't know. But I guarantee you, if a show like that were to happen, WH Park and I would be doing a podcast review of it on the Post Wrestling Cafe. And that's what we'll be doing tomorrow night. It is a return of MCU later, covering episode one of What If, the latest MCU series that's out right now on Disney+. Plus, Their first animated one, which I've yet to watch, actually, surprisingly. So I don't know if that says something about maybe my level of anticipation for it or the fact that I've just had a bit of a busy week. But um, I am certainly going to, to watch it, and I look forward to talking about it with WH to see exactly, much like Rampage, how important of this show is going to be to the overall canon of the MCU. All right. Well, we look forward to that. Um, I wasn't sure if you would be reviewing the track off of the album Human Clay that Creed put out with their song, What If. Yeah. Um, I feel like we just did a Creed joke. Oh, because we reviewed Creed. That's right. <laughs> we did. We, we've gotten a lot of mileage out of Creed over the years. So this is this is probably going to be it. Uh, so there you go. That will be coming out on Thursday, as will a new British wrestling experience. Martin and Benno will be joined by Gareth from Grapple. So they will be chatting all the latest news, including Ilya Dragunov comes to the U.S. Welcome to WWE. Uh, I should preface, I don't know if they managed to catch this week's NXT before they recorded that episode, because I believe they recorded it a little bit early. But nonetheless, even better. Um, yeah, a lot of hopes and dreams I think placed on a <laughs> on young Ilya's uh, trip to the U.S. Uh, I should also say on the British Wrestling Experience feed, as of now, you get a double dose of Martin Benno and Gareth from Grapple because it is the culmination of their 12-hour stream. You get to listen to the final hour, which includes Martin Benno after a 12-hour stint talking to J.P. Houlihan and Grapple from Gareth uh, right now on the British Wrestling Experience feed. So plenty of Plenty of content from those great broadcasters right now on their feed. All right. So that's all coming out Friday night. We are live at 1115 PM Eastern after SmackDown, after Rampage, all patrons will have live access to the show as Way and I go through Rampage episode one and whatever happens on SmackDown as we enter our three hour evenings on Friday night. Looking forward to it, John. You know, it's going to be fun, at least for the first few few weeks, and maybe maybe beyond. I'm excited for these shows. Well, we, we will go in with uh, that intention. And then hey, this don't weekend... You a, don't you have another show coming out tomorrow? Or Friday? Uh, Friday. Friday, 
we have not done the interview yet, but we will be releasing an interview with the one and only Ariel Helwani, who will be returning to post wrestling. So that will be dropping on Friday. Uh, during the day so you can look forward to that he is returning with the mma hour this monday so we will chat with him about his uh, latest career changes and where he is off to next and the return of the mma hour so you can look out for that uh, on friday on the site pros, and- pro, pros profile zone ariel helwani that's right ariel jacob helwani will be with us and you can get the whole schedule up at postwrestling.com that's it i'm out of plugs So have a wonderful evening, and we'll speak with you on Friday.